Hello and welcome to a special episode of Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I'm Trav. I'm Quillen. I'm Al. Some of the biggest bands of the 90s never had a modern rock number one, but we still want to spend time with them. I'm sad cause of hair all around y'all. I'm sad cause of Brown Boys themselves, Seattle band Allison Chains, had several singles that charted on the mainstream and modern rock charts, but never a modern rock number one. My favorite colors are pee pee and poo poo, y'all. Today we'll talk about Allison Chains's Allison Chains's first three <laughs> studio albums: Facelift, Dirt self-titled as well as the jar of flies and sap eps and their 1996 mtv unplugged album and then would you god smack them bones into your angry chair as we go down in a hole to rate some of their hits (laughs) i was wondering what would break first your spirit Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I would. <laughs> Did you mean for wood to be a Allison Chains pun? Of course. Wood. I should have put more wood? emphasis on that, right? What? <clears throat> All right. So Allison Chains. Um they were a band. They were a band. Um they were a band, uh generally of four people. Mm-hmm. We start off with uh, the the primary lead singer who was Lane Staley, and then you've got guitarist and lead and sometimes lead singer mm-hmm. Jerry Cantrell, drummer Sean Kinney. Uh, the first bass player was Mike Starr, and later Mike Inez. Mm-hmm. And um, after the passing of Lane Staley, spoiler alert. Uh, William Duvall took over lead vocals. Hmm. Um, what would you say is the uh, sort of uh, brief uh, bio of the band? Well, so Jerry Cantrell had a previous band called Alice in Chains. This is in the late 80s. I thought Lane, Lane Staley had that band. Okay, Lane Staley had a band called Alice in Chains. And then... Jerry Cantrell had some other band and they passed like ships in the night by one another. And then eventually they teamed up and they decided to form a band called Alice in Chains. <laughs> and uh, Lane Staley was kind of a self-destructive guy and messed around with heroin. And it kind of came to define the band's tenure is, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. I think they're uh, kind of a group of uh, Seattle scenesters who were uh, mm. just sort of familiar with each other and eventually kind of came to, to be in a group together. And sort of came from a hair metal adjacent scene 
and gradually kind of transitioned from that into more of what we would call alternative rock. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I think I think there was a pocket of Seattle bands that did that. Um I think a lot of the some of the grunge bands came from the kind of butt rock hair metal scene. Mm-hmm. Some of them came from uh, you know, like an artier, um, like punk. Uh kind of aesthetic and yeah so when people talk about seattle grunge they talk about nirvana uh pearl jam Soundgarden, allison chains mm-hmm. and of course they talk about related projects like mother love bone and yeah. stuff like that yeah but, more obscure stuff from before that yeah, but it, it seems River like and an, an everybody's short description of allison chains they mentioned that allison chains are the most metal of the seattle grunge bands which at least at the at first makes sense. Mm-hmm. After a while, I think that stops making sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Quilly Boy, you kind of like uh, Alice in Chains, right? Uh, I I I like a uh, sizable number of their singles. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. This was yet another band that I heard my brother listening to when I was in elementary school and, um, you know, that caught my ear. And, um, back then I, uh, came to like a few of their songs and, um, over the years eventually checked out an album or two. And, um, yeah, I would say that, um, they have some truly awful songs um, I would say that they have some really, really great songs that, that stick with me. And, um, I, I have a generally fond, um, remembrance of, of Alice in Chains. Okay. Uh, Alec in Chains. <laughs> <laughs> this was really almost a completely new experience to me. I think that, you know, one thing I realized doing research for this was that this is, is it a, you know, Alice in Chains scored better on the mainstream rock chart than the alternative rock chart and they did well on the alternative rock chart but i don't think that similar to stp huh yeah i guess so i don't think that i heard a ton of them on alternative rock radio and um so i was curious to check this out and have it be a fresh experience and i think i kind of realized as i was listening that the reason i wasn't very familiar with alice in chains was because i always changed the station when alice in chains came on (laughs) (laughs) so um i i had some the the whole thing was interesting i'm really glad that we're going into it i think it's an important corner to cover um but I, I didn't have a relationship with this band aside from a couple songs that I liked. And I, I don't think my new relationship with the band is much better. <laughs> okay. Uh, Q baby, you mentioned there were, uh, some great songs, some terrible songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, uh, what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Yeah. Um, I would say, um, I, I feel like with them, it's hard for me to say what is like an objective strength versus like what is a, po- a personal positive for me. Um, I would say, for example, um, sometimes Lane Staley's voice is irritating and unbearable 
sometimes it's very good and likable for me. And oftentimes he and Jerry Cantrell singing together is great for me. I love it. Um, I would say that is a positive. I would say, is that an objective strength? I don't know. Um, I think that they have an ear for um, unique harmonies um, and, and melodies. Um, and I, I guess that would be a strength. Um, musicianship is top notch. Jerry Cantrell is a fantastic guitarist. Um, uh, I can't remember what you said. The drummer's name was Sean Kinney. Sean Kinney, um, is an excellent drummer. Um, you know, they're, they're great, great musicians. Um, good sense of dynamics later on, I think, um, later on in their career, later on in the nineties or mid nineties, I guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, those are the things that stick out to me. Um, I think my biggest takeaway this time around of, uh, spending time with them is, um, Jerry Cantrell's guitar playing later, later on in there, like, Hmm. you know, starting with like, well, I mean, even Sap, like, I think his his songs, the songs that he clearly wrote, um, I think his guitar playing, his chord chord usage was really impressive to me, and it was a major strength for the band. But that didn't always pan out on some of the other songs that he did not write. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned uh, their musicianship because I think that that is probably one of their strengths. Um, and I know that Jerry Cantrell, uh, I guess, at least for me as a guitarist, like there are moments where he's fantastic and he really is like, yeah, plays these like transcendent leads that really stand out as um, highlights of their their songs. And then there are, I guess there are also moments where he's like, just like technically great and kind of uh, self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. And um, playing as many notes as he can, like that kind of guitar playing, which mm-hmm. isn't always my favorite. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but I, I think it is worth kind of acknowledging their musicianship. Um, and then I guess I, we should probably differentiate between the vocals of Lane Staley and, and Jerry mm-hmm. Cantrell. Mm-hmm. Al, do you have any any thoughts about the, <laughs> the differences there? Well, I will say I, I do think I came away from this feeling like I'm, I'm kind of a fan of Jerry Cantrell. Um, there are very few songs where he is really truly singing lead vocals. Um, uh, you know, I can think of at least one song on sap and a couple songs on self-titled. Um, Lane Staley has a somewhat unremarkable voice or sorry, <laughs> Jerry Cantrell has a somewhat unremarkable voice. Mm-hmm. It's very clean. Um, no uh, real character, like no like outright character to yeah, it. Yeah, right? not it's a just, lot of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially Lane's, in contrast to Lane Staley. Yeah, yeah. Lane yeah. Staley has such a heavy. Uh, so I made a big mistake. <laughs> yeah, he does a little bit of like the. If you remember when gangster characters used to show up on Looney Tunes and they'd always go, <laughs> and uh, that was kind of what Edward Lane G. Robinson. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was the Edward G. Robinson. I forgot that we share that reference point. Um, 
Yeah, I was going to say at one point, but I'm not totally sure this is true, that my Lane Staley impression is, I am smelling like a rose that somebody <laughs> gave me. But That's I, perfect. I, I do think that um, that first Stone Temple Pilots record, now I, I, I realize even more that it is, so much of it is just an Alice in Chains ripoff. But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. You know, the vocal harmonies are really impressive. I, I found that... Um, Hang on, if Chatsworth's gonna fuck up my no, he's not. Okay, um, I found that Lane Staley was too much for me a lot of the time. Do you like like when they're singing like a lot? I feel like a lot of their, um, a lot of the songs that are clearly written by Lane Staley, um, a, when they are both singing at the same time, mm-hmm. I think those are the best parts. Would you agree with that? I think I. Just maybe prefer it when Lane Staley doesn't sing at all. Mm, <laughs> yeah, fair. I might. Fair. I might, or at least when he's really fair. subdued. You know, uh, Quillen sort of made a passing joke about something we've been talking about um, in the intro when he mentioned the color brown. Uh, you know, one of my feelings is that w- one of the things that this band does well, I've got to say, is that they nail conveying misery. Um, and I think that misery seems to be a big part of this band's story. And, you know, the album artwork is almost universally somewhere on the spectrum between brown and yellow, um, and yellowish brown and brownish yellow. And that's just sort of the vibe. That's the aura of this band's entire output to me. Um, so I'm always grateful when there are some sort of bright spots. And I find that usually it's Jerry Cantrell that's bringing those bright spots. Miriam Webster defines grunge <laughs> as rock music incorporating elements of punk rock and heavy metal. Uh, how would you define hmm. Alice in Chains' relationship to, um, to grunge, and how would you define their relationship to modern rock, which is the basis of our podcast? Hmm. Essentially alternative rock music from the 90s. One of the weird things about grunge is that I think of Nirvana very much as being punk rock inspired, but really Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, they're all classic rock. They all feel like extensions of classic rock. Especially at their start. You think of 10 as being like a classic rock album and maybe early Soundgarden as well. Yeah. Um, We're not including, yeah, and classic rock really is an element. I would say Soundgarden. I would say Soundgarden through Done on the Upside is heavily classic rock influenced. I think yeah. Yeah. It's, it's curious. It seems like a lot of what's changed from the 80s arena rock to the grunge bands is largely just sort of like a... For, I mean, firstly, it's an aesthetic change. It's Frankly, it's a fashion change. But it's also just... Uh, I feel like the focus changes from hedonism to more of like a um, maybe sometimes ironic, definitely sort of glumly like philosophical um, uh, malaise and I guess a, a cynicism. Um that feels like a distinctly early 90s thing. 
Um, I don't sense a lot of irony in Alice in Chains, but they're definitely not <laughs> singing about the virtues of partying and girls. I mean, it's they're they're taking us down in a hole for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's inter- it's interesting that you say that because I did. Um, one of my coworkers mentioned seeing them in Lollapalooza, like nineteen ninety two or three. And just describing them as being like incredible rock stars. Hmm. And I, I was like, really? Like, that's kind of <laughs> okay, okay. Like, cool. I mean, I guess, you know, there's a, a sort of element to that, you know, with stage uh, personas and performance and things like that, that maybe doesn't always come across in the recordings. But mm-hmm. well, um, Lane Staley, for all the negative things I've said, he has undeniable star power. Just that kind of animal magnetism. Yeah. That, you know, it's like when I hear Man in the Box come on on Facelift, I know we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I don't necessarily like that song, but from the moment that it starts, I'm like, oh, yeah, I I, I get why this is magnetic to people. Um, You mentioned, uh, so uh, talking about grunge kind of coming from a mix of metal and punk. and how only like Al, you were saying that really you were only getting a sense of punk from Nirvana mm-hmm. um, during that time. And I would say that I, I think that I generally agree with that. I, I do think Pearl Jam um, messes with punk a little bit um, on Vitalogy. Um, I think there's a punk edge to some of the songs. I think um, as mellow as no code is i think there are one or two songs that have some minor nods to it um but like i think that's about it and i think you're spot on with that alice and chains and and stunt double pilots too though to a lesser degree just kind of yeah like fall into the just rut of slow hard rock kind of metal um, at least for the for the first part of their their career, and um, obviously they mellow up and get more interesting, uh, eventually. But um, yeah, I think I think I I generally agree with with where you're coming from. Great. Um, shall we enter the Sludge Factory and begin discussing <laughs> their albums, their releases yeah. from the '90s? Let's get a facelift. <laughs> Right, so in 1990, uh, the band releases Facelift, and uh, according to Wikipedia, this is the first album from the grunge era to be certified gold, which happens on September 11th, 1991. Um, the I guess the origin story of the album is that the demo tapes ended up in the hands of the managers of Soundgarden, who had already been Mm. active and relatively successful um, at that point. So um, since that time, it's it's gone on to be double platinum and has sold two million copies. What do yous think of Facelift? (laughs) 
I think it starts promising. Um, is uh, is We Die Young? Is that the first track? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I. Um, it's pretty rocking. Um, it's uh, the kind of '80s hedonistic rock that I like. It sounds like it. It could be an Aerosmith kind of song uh, up until the vocals come in. Uh, I liked that, and I like the quick transition into "Man in the Box." I think oh that yeah, that's, that was that's such a, a blast, a, a cool move. Um, I feel like on a lot of the record, they don't quite have their song craft figured out. I feel like the songs are constantly losing and and then rebuilding momentum. And I think one of my complaints in general is that uh, this band tends to have a lot of five minute long songs, or at least in that neighborhood. And um, sometimes I, I feel like, you know, they'll, they've got some, I don't know if they're necessarily tempo shifts so much as, again, just momentum, just dropping in and out throughout the songs. And uh, that tends to be kind of a pet peeve of mine. I felt like there's a lot of stopping and starting. Um, the, uh, only surprise song besides those two uh that i liked was uh the song i know something about you which quillen specifically texted us to trash when we were (laughs) listening to it uh it sounds it's got it's got some funky riffage it sounds almost like it could be the chili peppers or something like that (laughs) yeah exactly Um, (laughs) and uh they pick up the tempo on that one more so than the rest of the record and i found that to be a relief after so much mid-tempo rock give it that and i will acknowledge your appreciation of that that's that is that is totally fair totally fair uh yeah i it's fascinating to me what was it um did this just happen at this point in uh pop history that the first you know you'd put all of your singles at the very top of the album like was that just what happened Back That's then? a good question. You know, like, I don't like, know. That's kind of wild. I can't think of yeah. any other albums where it's like the first four songs yeah. are the singles. The first four songs are the singles. The first song is, I think, the first single. Um, I think the second song is the second single. Um, yeah. The third song third is the song third single. single. Is it? Okay. So, it, yeah. yeah I, it, that's fascinating to me. That's about the most interesting thing I have to say about this album. Um, <laughs> it's a total snoozer. Um, it, it's actually not as I had never listened to this album all the way through. I expected the worst and it did not, it did not get that. Like it did not stoop that low. It, it mm-hmm. was better than I was expected. Um, the only single that I hated was we die young, like com- that I completely low. Oh, huh. Um, man in the box. I've always liked, um sea of sorrow and bleed the freak were you know like not good um trev um, what what did you think yeah i mean so i i thought of it as kind of like this generic rock thing um 
from from a it feels very dated mm-hmm. like even the the drum sounds like there's an extra sort of reverb on the snare that sounds way more like a um like an 80s rock album mm-hmm. and Definitely. it ties yeah. it in with like that that uh the the 80s hair metal thing maybe guns and roses and things like that you know um and so i i thought it was kind of fascinating in that there hadn't been this it was released at a time that there had not been an established blueprint for grunge and alternative bands. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was neat to see kind of where it went. Yeah, it was just before that. all of that. It was, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was in the wild uh, before that happened. That being said, I don't think there were any particular songs that like really stood out. I mean, Man in the Box is like an enormous hit. And honestly, this is the first time I've listened to this album because I kind of always suspected that it was more of a metal album that I wouldn't love. But hearing that transition from We Die Young into Man of the Box in the box was like, whoa. Like it was it really kind of like got my attention and made me appreciate it a little bit more. It was fun to hear it within the context of the album. Um, as far as the critical reception, um, Hollywood Steve Huey of All Music uh, cited Facelift as one of the most important records in establishing an audience for grunge and alternative rock among hard rock and heavy metal listeners. Um, and we kind of started to talk about this a little bit, but this album came out in 1990. Um, Nevermind came out in 1991. So what kind of path do you think this band was on at this point? Um, and what, what was their place in, in the rock music culture at the time? Yeah, I mean, I just think sad Guns N' Roses. <laughs> I don't know uh, how much more there is to it than that. I mean, it seems like very much of a piece with, like they could go on tour with Guns N' Roses, it seems to me. I I don't actually know a ton about Guns N' Roses, but um, it seems like that could work. Um, they're just, they just sound miserable. So it's interesting that you mentioned the tour thing. They were part of a tour called the Clash of the Titans tour with Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because there was not an alternative music scene, they fit well within those bands. Yeah. Um, But it was interesting to see how well they would sort of assimilate themselves into the alternative music scene after Nevermind happened. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me like the main difference between them and all those uh, Clash of the Titans bands is this sludgy tempo 
because I mean, I don't. I guess I don't know much about anthrax, but I mean, slayers—they're—they're—they they're, thrash. I mean, they're—they're they're, that that stuff is fast. Yeah, I think anthrax kind of is too. At least, yeah, the, you know. And and Megadeth were know. before they turned into butt rock, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's some very cool, uh, you know, mid '80s thrash stuff from Megadeth. Okay, so um, I guess following facelifts their next release was an ep called sap which was released in february of 1992 um and this came from the sessions to record a single for the cameron crow movie singles which turned out to be the single called wood which was an <laughs> enormous wood which was an enormous hit um what do you think about Sap? I think this might be my favorite Alice in Chains release. I was surprised. I overlooked it at first, and I went back and listened to it, and um, I thought it was pretty. That was pleasant. It's nice that it's short. It's. Uh, I feel like it's maybe one of their least bleak releases Mm -hmm. and got me wrong as our first uh and correct me if i'm wrong got me wrong as our first really fully jerry cantrell led uh song which to me made a big difference I felt like Cantrell's vocal uh, performance was much more prominent on that track than, or maybe Lane Staley was less prominent on that track than on any previous track. So uh, I, I liked Sap. I, I liked it a fair amount. Yeah, that's probably true. And I mentioned in a text um, that Got Me Wrong struck me as like a Frank Black song. Did that uh, uh, occur to you at all when you were yeah, listening to no, it? Yeah, I, I no, okay. I didn't quite catch that, but... okay. Uh, I appreciate the comparison. Yeah, there's just a sort of, you know, it starts off with a major chord in the minor chord position. Um, And then when it gets to the chorus, there's a a pretty significant shift in the chord progression um, that is really appealing to me. Mm. Anyways. Yeah, cool. Off recording, we said maybe we'd only talk about two particular songs in this but um uh one of the songs is it right turn um features mark arm from mud honey and chris cornell yes. of sound garden yeah, yeah um which is uh, that was kind of eye-opening to me because i guess that makes them a respectable band in the seattle grunge scene like i i, I wasn't sure how they were perceived um, amongst their peers um, in, in the grunge scene. And so that kind of solidifies like, well, they m- must have been respected and, and friend actually friends with, with these other bands. Um, yeah. They're listed in the liner notes as Alice Mudgarden. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, 
but yeah, um, you know, got me wrong. Great single. Um, I do think it is, uh, Cantrell's like least interesting guitar performance on a predominantly Cantrell song. Um, but I've always, that's always been a, um, favorite of mine. Um, and brother, which I was the, the lead off track, which I was unfamiliar with. Um, it, it may have sounded a little, uh, familiar to me probably because of uh and we'll talk about this more later but the um uh unpl- the MTV unplugged um album but this song slaps brother is like awesome and is brother another Kintrell um penned song um Lane Staley is not listed under the lyrics on Wikipedia all lyrics hmm. and music written by Jerry Kintrell Hmm. except where noted so he wrote the whole ep um essentially um yeah i that song great like very simple drumming but very very solid performance smart playing um Kintrell just kills it on guitar some of the some of my favorite guitar playing of his is on that song um yeah just just a really killer track that i don't understand why that wasn't a single either. I agree. I really like Brother. I think it's great. It's got Ann Wilson from Heart on backup vocals, which is a really interesting thing. That and another song. I think she's on two songs. Maybe, uh, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, totally. Slapper Um, of a song. Yeah, yeah. A slapper. A slapper. That sounds great. Um, Yeah, it's interesting that it was released with uh, no ads or no promotion. Mm. They said uh, they just wanted to put it out in the stores and see if people would buy it. And so um, it kind of flew under the radar. I I don't think Got Me Wrong was like a huge hit in 1992, Mm. but it was a huge hit after it was included on the Clerks soundtrack. Oh, Um, And so the EP was re-released in 1995. And sort of had a, a, a new appreciation for it at that time. Hmm. Yeah. Great. So we can move on to dirt. 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 <laughs> this is the big one, right? Yeah. yeah, it is. It feels like the big one when you put it on. It feels like the big one. This came out in 1992. Um, and I think like Alec mentioned, this reminds me a lot of core. Um, so... This I um, thought you were saying that about facelift. I totally oh um totally whiffed. Uh, not necessarily just facelift. Okay, fair. Yeah, totally fair. So dirt um was released on September twenty nine, nineteen ninety two. It uh, reached number six on the Billboard two hundred. Has since gone four times platinum and has sold five million copies. <laughs> it is enormous. Um, five there singles. Are, there are many singles, 
and you will hear all of them on classic rock radio and rock radio. Um, mm -hmm. <sighs> you would still hear them bones and angry chair on the radio. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, them bones maybe. Well, no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say all of them. Huh. Okay. I, I pay attention to rock radio. I still get a little bit of comfort from just like hard ass rock radio, like the riff. <laughs> Uh -huh. Like I'll turn that on and I'll be I'll be okay with it. That's cool. Um, I don't know. What do you guys have to say about dirt? Dirt is something. Um. Yeah, I I don't know. It's uh, it, it it's really interesting. It it still has that um like eighties hard rock production right like the drums are enormous and tinny and um kind of shitty sounding um and it's just loud cavernous um i think they're getting more melodic and smarter um with their arrangements um still too many five minute long songs um yeah i don't know it, it's uh i have com Lip. complicated feelings i i like some of it i really like some of it um yeah you texted us and said that dirt quote slaps and then said <laughs> that you spoke too soon <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely. what was that like was it just like the first half is good and then you kept going and you're like oh I, I think it was like getting through the majority of the singles in the first half of the album which i do like the majority i i like um four out of the five singles and well, let's um, talk about the singles so the singles are uh wood which is the last song in the album, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. You've closer got, as closer, closer as leadoff single. Love it, right? And then the second single is "Them Bones." Them Bones, the first single, which is a chromatic heavy, sort of progression. Heavy that, seven four. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah, love seven it. four and uh, and and fast. So I I like no it. slow. Yeah. Well, fast palm muting. Uh -huh. But but uh, halftime beat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I think cool. Cool move. Them bones, angry chair, rooster, and down in a hole. Yeah, mm -hmm. all which, songs that you can hear on the radio at any given time. Angry chair, I did not. Angry chair was a different song than I thought it was. Um, and I don't remember the last time hearing that song on the radio, but the other four, like repeatedly, 
uh, listening to 89X and the 90s just repeatedly all of mm-hmm. those songs I, I would constantly hear. Um, and I, yeah, I think all of those singles except for Angry Chair are in like the first half of the album. So I was like, oh yeah, this this album is better than I remember. And then getting to the second half, it just kind of falls off a cliff. And I don't know that there are too many album tracks that really stand out. I remember liking uh, Rain When I Die, uh, the chorus kind of being uh, melodic in a way that I could appreciate. Um, Yeah, good riffs on that song. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've always confused and still to this day confuse Angry Chair and Down in a Hole. They are both like mid-tempo, bleak, dark, Mm -hmm. just like downer heroin music. Down yeah. in a hole is pretty though. Downer really? Downer heroin music is the way that I felt about this album. I mean, there I, I liked I liked some of it. Um there were several songs that I hated on this album. Sure. Like what? Call Excuse them out. Me. All right. I didn't like Damn That River. I thought that chorus was was really bad. I thought that lead vocal performance on the chorus was really bad. Hey, fuck you. Just Uh, just, just kidding. (laughs) Cut his mic. (laughs) I I guess I should say, like a lot of people, life is a little little gloomy right now. And I, I kept getting... This is not a song that I hated, but I kept kind of getting down in a hole stuck in my head and kind of thinking like, this is where I am right now. I'm, I'm down <laughs> in a hole. And I, I, I really did. And that's incredible. That, it was really just that the, the guitar, you know, that the opening guitar and the very beginning of the chorus that I'd kind of get stuck in my head and I'd think, yeah, like this, I'm, I'm vibing with this right now. And then. I would actually listen to it and there'd be these just like these little Lane Staley kind of like kind of <laughs> thrown in after the yeah. lines. And then that part where they go, I'd like to fly where I was like, oh, no, I can't do this. Oh, really? I can't do this. Oh, man. The, the downerness of it, there were some songs where I was just like, I came away from it. I think I listened to this record three times. And there were wow. some songs that I was like, I never want to hear this song again. I never want to hear the song Sick Man again. Like <laughs> just the level of heroin misery that you have to experience vicariously by listening to that song. I mean, it's very effective at what it's trying to do. It sounds like something that a sick person has made, and it makes me feel sick to listen to it. Junkhead, 
Mm. Uh, the one that has has some kind of a what's my drug of choice? Uh, well, what have you got? Um, mm. uh, hate to feel, hated that, and I hated <laughs> uh, the single angry chair, which I think we've already we 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 were talking in the green room about the way that the vocals are delivered in that, but the chorus is. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> <Boy. laughs> um, it is a little cartoony. The Lane Staley performance, I think, is maybe one of the worst uh, I don't performances of his that I can think of. I guess I think it's interesting that, like, if I heard this, so this was 92, and I was not listening to it immediately as it came out. But by the time I was, like, really into rock music and alternative music, it really appealed to me. And I was not on heroin in seventh grade, uh-huh. but <laughs> it, felt, it felt like something I could connect to in that sort of like teenage angst sort of way. Um, it's weird that, that that sort of, that such a gloomy album could be so seemingly like broadly appealing. What is the worst song on the album, and why is it called God Smack? <laughs> and is it the namesake for the it, band God Smack? It's got to be. It's got to be, right? It has because to be. They totally aped Allison Chains. Exactly. Did you did you see the um that song title and go, oh, that's where they got the band, yeah. and then went, oh, the band sounds exactly yes. like Allison Chains. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was a progressive like, oh. Huh. Yes. I remember owning this a is Godsmack true and album. This must be true. And <laughs> right. I I liked those Godsmack singles. Um and I can't even think what a single one of them I'm sounds like. One who's so far away when I feel a snake might enter my face. Oh boy. That's uh, the only one okay. I can I think I've outed myself. My <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the singing on that song on Godsmack is like that is the most offensive Lane Staley performance without question. It is horrific. Okay. Okay. <laughs> horrific. Um. But yeah, uh, wood wood, um, is a song that I have loved. I just loved it from the first time I ever heard it as a kid. Always stuck with me. Um. Great, great tight drumming, um, memorable bass line. Um, Kintrell singing the verses and Staley singing the choruses, which I didn't know. Oh, really, yeah, good point. I didn't notice I, that. I didn't know that until watching. Um, sometimes when, when, when Lane Staley keeps it, um, like more low key, I have a hard time differentiating between their voices. Mm. Um, 
and I think that was the case here was I always thought it was just Lane Steely singing low key of course during the verses and then singing loud during the chorus but no it's uh split split vocal duties and it, it it's great um but yeah. Steely's also like coming in heavy with those harmonies oh in the yeah yeah too. yep yep yeah I mean I always just kind of assumed that you know like like bands do like a lot of singers sing their own harmonies on their records you know mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. and i think that was maybe the case but um yeah i don't know i i don't think there's really anything i just wanted to come clean with my love for the song i don't think there's anything much to be said about it it's very simple um huge arena rock chorus huge chorus huge rock chorus right yeah maybe questionable like ending um like kind of hilariously cheesy bridge at the end of the song and then the actual ending ah, good one <laughs> I, I like that ending i, I yeah. do too i yeah. definitely do but it is silly as hell yeah um yeah i don't know i i think the singles like even angry chair i i don't love it i don't even like it that much but i i think that there are far worse singles and and songs um on this album uh, well in their catalog um just in history um angry chair is a little too like metallica like slow metallica for me like it's Mm -hmm, a little too close to like one um maybe but um Rooster was was a sneaky one for me this time around. The ooze, the melody of the the ooh ooh is cool. Mm-hmm. That's a cool part. Um, I don't know. There's lots of sneaky stuff. Yeah, uh, listening to Rooster this time around. Of course, I've always heard this song, but I, I had never really thought about it too much. Um. You know, something something about the lyrics made me want to uh, look into it a little bit deeper. And um, I learned that it's a uh, Jerry Cantrell wrote about his father's experience uh, fighting in Vietnam. His father oh, had wow. the nickname the rooster. And so, um, you know, the whole idea of uh, who's come to snuff the rooster, um, he ain't going to die uh, being sort of about his dad's uh, being a survivor and uh and dealing with some of the trauma from that experience it, it, jerry Cantrell tells a story of um one time that his dad came to see alice in chains play and that they played the rooster and uh um all of that put together made i guess probably that ended up being my favorite song lyrically um i don't love it all together but uh, i came away with a fresh appreciation for it
Yeah. Huge hit. So glad. Um, I don't want to dwell too long on Dirt, even though I think it is probably their biggest album. But were there any noticeable changes for you from Facelift to Dirt? Yeah, I I just think generally they had honed their craft a a little better. Um, I think they were, I mean, I, I still think that some of the songs are too long. Maybe a lot of the songs are too long, but like, um, I think they learned to cut some meat from, from the songs. I think they were just, they made a, a little bit smarter decisions. Um, they had a better grasp on what their, their sound is at that time, which is interesting because it changes and, you know, they do these EPs that are kind of a completely different vibe. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think there's a, a pretty massive difference. Um, maybe not quite as different, um, as like STP going from core to purple mm-hmm. or purple to, yeah. um, tiny music, but like, um, yeah, yeah I, I think they're just getting better at what they were doing. Yeah. That's fair. Great. Yeah. Um, all of the singles charted on the mainstream chart. I think it's kind of funny to note that the only two that charted on the main, on the modern rock chart were Them Bones at number 30 and Angry Chair at number yeah. 27. It is weird. Not Rooster, not Down in a Hole, which seem more modern rock friendly. Wood or even Wood, not of even course. Wood. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that's interesting. So... Uh, I guess that being said, after Dirt, he's done. Bye. <laughs> bye bye. Quill's, Quill's walking away. If it ain't Dirt, he doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to close my door. <laughs> after Dirt. Uh, the band uh, releases an EP called Jar of Flies in January 1994. And an the story with what an EP that? that's almost like as long as a full length, like it's yeah, a half yeah, an hour long. Yeah. The, so in, in these days, it would be a full length. It is also the first EP in music history to debut at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. Wow. Um, it is triple platinum and has sold 4 million copies the story with this ep is that the band had come home at the end of the Lollapalooza tour in 1993 and found themselves evicted from their residence their respective residences after maybe maybe they were living together i'm not sure but uh they failed to pay pay rent so they were evicted and so they moved into the london bridge studio in seattle uh where they had previously booked time and they had no material written prior to entering the studio um so they they went in and decided to write some songs in addition to this um they had parted ways with their bassist uh, Mike Starr, um, and there's some sort of discrepancy about how he had left. Um, I think the band had suggested that it was like a difference in priorities, mm-hmm. and 
Mike Starr was sort of defensive about like maybe his drug use being part of the reason why he was kicked out. But uh, they brought in uh, the bassist Mike Inez from Ozzy Osbourne's band after they had toured together on the No More Tours tour. (laughs) No More Tours tour with Ozzy Osbourne. Mike Inez steps in as the bassist and um, immediately to me uh adds a new layer to the band hmm. um mike inez wrote the baseline to no more tears by ozzy osbourne um which is very distinctive and one of the more prominent sort of like baselines that you'll hear on classic rock radio um so they 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 brought him in and they were learning to write together and Basically, they put together these seven songs and did it primarily acoustically Mm -hmm. uh, to great success. Uh, What do you think about Jar of Flies? I think it's got some of their best moments. Um, I think that there are some misses. It's an interesting turn. I mean, I know Sap was intentionally um, acoustic-based, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, this has some of my favorite moments and it's a, a cool little, cool little, uh, EP. Yeah. So Al, I know you've been kind of down on the, the bleakness of, um, you know, facelift and dirt mm-hmm. and some of the, the gnarly Lane Staleyisms of the band. Um, what's uh does this hit you differently i mean it's nice to hear something like i stay away which is has a a major feel and curiously goes into a full orchestra uh almost like anthemic pop mode um there's still plenty of moments like th- that first song when are they saying anna where he just goes and 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 ah, over and oh. over and over again. And 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 ah, and 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 ah. Are we talking about? I think it's hey ah na na. Hey ah na na. Wait, yeah. we're we're talking about not nutshell, but the the first song. Yeah, that yeah. first song is it's kind of a deal breaker right off the bat for me. Um, you know, we'll we'll get into no excuses. I know, but that's yeah, that, that's a highlight of of their career for me. So there are some there are some glimpses of of sunshine here, but uh, I didn't I didn't really like the release as a whole. So the first <laughs> song is called "Rotten Apple," and it's basically an uh, mm, I want to say this: the verses are in E minor, but when it gets to the chorus, it does this back and forth between E minor and E major. And like a C7 that is so great. Um, I love Rotten Apple. I think it's a fantastic opener. Um, I love Nutshell. I think that, that that's an incredible one, too. Nutshell should and have I, been a single. Nutshell absolutely. is beautiful. Yeah. We talked a little bit about um, in the Wonderwall episode, I was trying to, to come up with other songs that had this open E minor 7 chord structure. Mm. And I couldn't think of any of them. And it's this. This is is it. Mm 
this is an example. Also, Barry, Barely Breathing by Duncan Sheik, but we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, Nutshell, fantastic. Rotten mm-hmm. Apple, fantastic. I Stay Away, uh, that, uh, that chorus with the uh, enormous orchestra is just uh, totally unexpected. Mm-hmm. Especially for like an impromptu EP, but yeah, um, yeah. Um, we'll look at the uh, the singles here. Um, the first single is "No Excuses," which was a mainstream rock number one, a modern rock number three, and a pop chart number, oh, number thirty-two. 32. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a pop. That's a pop song. Like, I guess so. That yeah, that's uh. It's a really catchy, really, really beautiful song. What do you think about the drums there? Oh, yeah. I have thoughts on the <laughs> drums. Um, I hate them, but I love them. Like, it's Is there so, like a China symbol or a splash so symbol? Out of it? There's too much splash symbol. I mean, it's like, <laughs> when I think of splash symbol, I think of Scott. I think of... No Excuses by Alice in Chains, and I think of The Cure um, in the 80s. And, uh, yeah, it's too much splash cymbal, very high-pitched snare, um, like Roto-Tom or something, and lots of, like, um, triplet rolling on the hi-hat. Um, and, it, I mean, it's impressive drumming, Um it for it works. It works with the song for me. I don't know. It it's fine. It's it's such a groove, and and the groove is all about just the, I think the strummed acoustic guitar, that bass line, which I think is just killer. I think mm-hmm. the bass line is incredibly memorable. Really, just a stellar bass line. Um, and you know the drumming is just really four on the floor with all of these insane overwrought flourishes. Vocal melody's great. Um, chorus kind of changes the tone of the song and is interesting. And yeah, it's this is like a one of my absolute, if not, eh, I don't know if it's my, it might be my favorite Alice in Chains song. I don't know. It, it's, it's up there. I love it. It's interesting that you mentioned the bass part. Um, I remember... Uh, getting into this after getting my first guitar and trying to learn the song and reading like the tabs online and playing along with it and being like, this doesn't sound like sound like the song at all, you mm-hmm. know, because the, the, the core of the song is the bass part. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have the bass part. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have it, you're, you're missing. The guitar you know, the chord is just like a very, or the it's two chords and it's just a variation of the same 
record or yeah basically yeah. what is it just like an uh open open uh tuning or it's like an no no it's like an open bar chord um if if that's even a thing it's like an a to a b sliding up with the uh top two strings open it, it's a song that i just want to bob my head to though mm-hmm. uh, un- like the the am i crazy or is that um unplugged version faster i think it is it's like kind of speedy and it's it kind of rules mm-hmm. i kind of like that yeah i think i like the unplugged version a little better i think i like it a little more too yeah, yeah. but i well, more on, yeah, and more on that later. Right, we'll get to it. But I think there's something a, a little it doesn't sit quite right with me about the uh, electric leads on top of the acoustic songs, um, mm. and it fits a little bit better when it's like all acoustic instru- instruments. Mm. I think you're talking about the the solo, electric guitar solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah but solo. also uh, there's a there's a little riff in the uh chorus as well oh yeah i know what you're talking about yeah i think i think i agree with you trev i think there are songs later on um where the mix of acoustic and electric is cool but and i think this song it 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 should be all all acoustic for sure yeah uh, so the other singles here are I Stay Away, uh, which was a mainstream rock number 10, and Don't Follow, which was a mainstream rock number 25, which has an absolutely terrible harmonica sound. <laughs> it sounds like... Uh, You're totally right. Oh my it God. It sounds like Leave a Tender Moment Alone by Billy Joel, which is the worst harmonica sound I can think of. <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, I don't think I noticed that one. I have a non-single that I want to mention. Um, oh. What are y'all thoughts on Whale and Wasp? No, is that is the that, instrumental? Yeah, that's, that's instrumental. The, that's the instrumental. <sighs> hmm My new line of skincare products is going to be called Whale and Wasp. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a new cocktail bar in a yeah. hip part of Chicago, right? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. Oh, for real? I think so. Yeah, I. Oh. I like I like when I get relief from Lance Daly. <laughs> wow, Trev, what well, do you think of it? Whatever form it comes in. Um, I I think it's fine. Um, yeah, there's there's no moments that I'm like particularly down on mm. on this EP. Mm. Um, I mentioned don't follow having a terrible harmonica part. Um. Which it does, but like the rest of the song is like kind of it's fine. It's yeah. good. Okay, I Alec, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. I I thought you were gonna hate this song. I I love it. I think it's like I think this song is gorgeous. Um, it, it's it's mysterious and um, I love the the uh, picked acoustic guitar part, like the main section with the like soaring harmonized electric lead I, I don't know it sounds like something out of like a fantasy film like it was like uh in like willow or something like that in the 80s and mm. this would be a song in that um like a mix of like like a a, a modern take on like a, a fantasy uh realms music i don't know it i think the song is cool as hell i really like it that's all. <laughs> Great. <laughs> 
Jar of Flies. Um, the band gets back together and uh, releases their self-titled album, Alice in Chains, a.k.a. the Dog Album, a.k.a. the Dog Record, a.k.a. Tripod. Are these, all, a, those are all legit names? I don't know. <laughs> That's what the internet said. Okay. I think it was from Wikipedia. Explain um, why tripod. So there's a picture of a three-legged dog on the front of the album. Yeah. And curiously enough, there's a picture of a three-legged mandolin boy on the back uh, cover of the album. And I think hmm. it's interesting to kind of point out, you know, they're mandolin in the midst boy? of this. A mandolin boy. Like uh, a, boy. a boy made out of a mandolin? <laughs> no, a boy playing a mandolin. Oh, okay. Three Jeez. leg? He has a third leg. Yeah, he's got a third leg. Oh, so... I think it's a real person. Interesting contrast. You know, the cover portrays a, a dog with uh, missing something, and the back cover is uh, somebody having gained something, a, a third Exactly. Leg. So that's interesting. But also, you've got a four-person band, and you've got somebody dealing with mm. a pretty severe drug problem mm-hmm. who's missing out here. Um, let me just say real quick, I watched Austin Powers gold member this week and one of the characters <laughs> was said to have three legs for very different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Fair. laughs> All right. That's enough of that. <laughs> um, so after jar of, Flies was released. Uh, the band was scheduled to tour with Metallica, Suicidal Tendencies, and mm-hmm. Danzig. Uh, however, at that time, Lane Staley had entered rehab for heroin addiction. And so the band had had to cancel all of their tour dates and went on hiatus. And I think they went on like hiatus a day before the tour was set to start. Mm-hmm. So... It really kind of put the brakes on everything. Um, While they were on hiatus, uh, Jerry Cantrell started working on solo material. And um, during the time when Lane Staley was not in um, rehab, he was working with Mad Season on an album, um, which has one particularly fantastic song. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Mad, some other neat stuff. Mad Season is Matt McCready from Mike. Pearl Jam. Mike McCready from Pearl yes. Jam. Drummer from Screaming Trees and some other bassist. Person. And this album was called Matchbox 20? Yes. Okay. That's right. Thanks. Match, Matchbox 20 by Mad Season. Great. Um, so, uh, during that time, uh, they're on, on hiatus and they're all kind of going their separate ways, but, um, eventually Mike Inez and Sean Kinney begin jamming with, uh, Jerry Cantrell on his solo stuff. And then in the spring of 1995, Lane Staley was invited to return to the band. Um, in April, they entered the studio to record Tripod. 
hmm. Staley remained addicted to heroin throughout the process. And so uh, the band's manager during this time had mentioned that uh, it was a really painful session because it took so long. It was horrifying to see Lane in that condition. Yet he was when he was cognizant, he was the sweetest bright-eyed guy you'd ever want to meet. To be in a meeting with him and have him fall asleep in front of you was gut-wrenching. Mm. So they're putting all this together um, in the midst of like a really dark time. Like they're really kind of becoming uh, all the things that they'd projected on dirt and facelift. And all the bleakness is really coming to a head here. Um, that being said, there's a lot of compelling songs on this album, I think. Uh, what do you guys think? This has probably my two favorite Alice in Chains tracks on it, and they're both uh, very much Jerry Cantrell projects. Uh, Heaven Beside You and Over Now are those two. Um, besides those two, I, I, you know, the the real rock stuff, the real Lane Staley stuff, I, I, I wasn't really particularly into. Al, did you listen to any uh, a Boggy Depot by Jerry Cantrell, his solo album, after this? No, no. Okay. Just curious. I'll give it a shot. Is it worth checking out, Trev? I mean, there was a couple of singles that were played on the radio enough that um, it's 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 legit. I don't know that I, I want to go to bat for it any more yeah. than that. Does it have his like cool guitar playing? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I yeah I um I I do think that there are a few compelling songs on this album for sure. Some I feel like I continue like can are to this day still growing on me um more and more um you know so, some of these bands that we've talked about I've I've been able to figure like okay some of them do have full albums that are worth um digging into and and you know no code um uh down on the upside by Soundgarden like some of these like mid nineties albums that I wasn't sure if I would be able to convince myself to spend time with. I, I found of are, are really good albums or are mostly. And I think I was hoping to have that experience with this album where come to find out like beyond the singles that I already know. Yeah. There's some, some diamonds in the rough here and, and some really, um, great songs and I, I just didn't quite have that experience so I, I was a little bummed um by the album but there are yeah there are a few like you said Trav like really really compelling songs that are um interesting and beautiful and and one rock song that is kind of funny bad but really good to me and and yeah it, it, it's interesting what was it uh, again, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. 
Um, so for me, this song has actually kind of become like, or I'm sorry, this album has become like kind of a personal favorite from the era for me. Um, it has kind of a no code feel for me in that it's like their hmm. first sort of step backwards mm-hmm. where like everything had been positive momentum until it hits this point. And it's like, it it's, it's the band becoming more of themselves like i've talked about before like this is a very alice in chains album to the point where they're maybe a little less concerned with um with success but at the same time um they're becoming better at what they're doing and so there are three singles from the album which are grind which is the first song on the album, Mm -hmm. Heaven Beside You and Again. Um, Grind is the first song. Heaven Beside You is the fourth song. Maybe one of my absolute favorite Alice in Chains songs is Sludge Factory, which is the third song. And it's like six minutes. It's it's called Sludge Factory, which (laughs) is probably about all you need to know. But it's it's just so... So Alice in Chains. Like it's the most Alice in Chains that you can get from any of this. Yeah, the body of one soul I adore wants to die. You have always told me you'd not live past 25. I say stay long enough to repay all who caused I also really love Brush Away, which has this gnarly riff at the beginning of the song, which should turn me away immediately. It's such an ugly, an ugly riff where you hear it and you just go, oh, that's disgusting. And it's still sort of like attractive in a way. And I feel like that kind of goes for a lot of the album. Like there's a lot of uh, beautiful sort of like ugly mm-hmm. songs on this on this album you um, know oh sorry no no i was just i guess you know i i really uh, yeah front to back it's it's really something that i i love spending time with i feel very comfortable with um the worst song on it for me is nothing song uh i don't think it's quite to the point where i'd be like i can't tolerate this but it's a bit corny. Um, otherwise, you know, the singles are great. The, a lot of the uh, album tracks are great. There are a lot of great album tracks. And the songs on the album that aren't great album tracks are just fine. Mm-hmm. And help sort of like create this universe to sort of like settle in with. It's all consistent. It all feels very uh, true. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, it's funny that you, yeah, you mentioned that it gives you kind of similar vibes um, as No Code. Um, I I went into the album, like, just like fully ready to compare it to No Code because um, I felt like, yeah, I, I, I kind of felt like it was going to be the same kind of thing. And I do agree that 
this is the most Alice in Chains sounding album. Like it is the full summary of everything they want to be. Hard hard rock, um, bluesy, um, ballads, um, and with no code, like I realized um when I went into listening to No Code, I felt like it that album was getting away from everything Pearl Jam had previously done. You know, like it was at the same time the least Pearl Jam sounding album yet, but it is the most Pearl Jam album, right? Like it is like they became Pearl Jam, like a fully realized Pearl Jam, but they were totally getting away from verses and 10 and, and most of Vitalogy. I think Vitalogy was starting to hint at it, but, um, so I, I think that they are similar in, in that way. Um, no code just happens to rip front to back. And, uh, I don't feel like this is, uh, I don't, think i have as many positive things to say about this album um, yeah that's fine but th- does that make it, sense what I, what i was saying about no code absolutely. kind of not like being different but very much pearl jam yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely um yeah one of my uh, the things i was reluctant about in this episode was that i didn't want to be alice in chains guy <laughs> like i'm smashing pumpkins guy and rem guy like I'm not like, Alice in Chains guy. Like uh, our guest Eric is three eleven guy. <laughs> Ex- exactly. Um, you're but, not three eleven, or you're not. <laughs> you're not, not Alice in Chains guy. guy like you are REM guy or Smash Pumpkins guy. But it's okay. Like I think you you. Well, with I don't know. I think with this album, you had maybe the most positive uh take on it i would say that i was that way with dirt you know like but i do feel like a a kind of a special personal connection to the self-titled album Mm -hmm. that i really like love it um that's awesome i love it and um uh, but i I wouldn't necessarily say that applies to all of their catalog sure can i um can i share with you my favorite lyric from the single again oh please i hope you will yeah it is why why did you slap me in the face ow (laughs) (laughs) you know sung by lane staley (laughs) yeah sung by lane staley but i when i when i noticed like so so again so that was the third single on the album and um have i i didn't remember grind from uh my childhood and and grind is is good i i do like grind heaven beside you i i liked a lot when i was a kid and and i think it's better even than i remember it being um again i hated it when i was a kid and i think that um the music video had a lot to do with it um i think that it I don't know, like Lane Staley's wearing sunglasses inside and a leather jacket. And he just like is putting on this kind of, uh, 
like he just seems kind of full of himself in this video to me which was like not my perception of him um previous to that and so that kind of rubbed me the wrong way um and so i had a hard time with that song and now it's like i i really like the song i think it's like a one of their like best actual like hard rocking songs um but yeah, coming across like just listening to it and and hearing why why did you slap me in the face? Ow. And and then just reciting it back to me like to myself without singing it. I was like, "Oh my god, he says, "Why why did you slap me in the face?" Ow. It's so funny to me. <laughs> Maybe not something I should be laughing about. But, no, uh, he's dead now. <laughs> Aaron. But th- this song's got some cool... Uh, I like the chorus or bridge or whatever, the, the, the instrumental chorus or bridge where he just sings yeah repeatedly. And yeah. I think yeah. they're singing the <laughs> guitar part too. And it, yeah, it's, it's a cool song. I, I really yeah. came around on that song. Great. So after the self-titled album, uh, the band was invited to perform at MTV Unplugged. Uh, so they went and recorded this performance on April 10th of 1996 and it was later released on July 30th, 1996. And uh, Wow, that was a quick turnaround. It was. It was. This was the band's first concert, first live performance in two and a half years. Wow. And so it was a big deal. And you can kind of hear it when they're coming out. Like the crowd kind of loses their shit when Lane Staley comes out. Mm-hmm. Like it's an extra sort of like, yeah. I mean, you got to think about like, this is 1996 and you know it's a Seattle band Kurt Cobain died a Heroin couple of years addiction. prior yeah. this is an MTV unplugged performance hmm. there's a lot of candles it looks very similar mm-hmm. to the Nirvana you know performance and uh, so there's a lot of weight i think to to the unplugged album um it debuted at number 3 on the Billboard 200 chart um, there were screw-ups throughout the performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Got Me Wrong had to be played uh, multiple times. Sludge Factory had to be played multiple times due to errors that the band had. Lane Staley forgetting lyrics, singing the wrong parts. If you watch on YouTube, there's actually some videos of him screwing up a line or coming in at the wrong part. And just yelling, fuck. Yeah. Is and that, then it, they stop and then they they go back into it. I think that's Sludge Factory. Is that Sludge Factory? Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. You like that song? I love that I'm song. So, I think his his vocals are crazy obnoxious on that song. Fair. Fair. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought that that was charming to see because I, I watched the Vimeo, um, uh, like the, the separate Vimeo uh clips that are up on on youtube and uh that that mishap is is charming it's kind of nice yeah and i think even you know i think even on the take of got me wrong that they went with 
there are slight changes in the lyrics and in one of the choruses you can hear Lane Staley kind of change mid mid word <laughs> in one of them and I think if you're watching it you can see them kind of make eye contact with each other and kind of smile like oh. knowing that they had messed up a little bit funny which that's is a very cool. neat kind of moment that's great yeah 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 that's great um that being said they've already put out you know a handful of acoustic you know one acoustic EP and half of an acoustic EP um Critically, uh, Stephen Thomas Erlewine from All Music mentioned, uh, it doesn't offer anything that, al- that the albums don't already. The acoustic arrangements of the harder songs sound like novelties, and the rest sound like rehashes of their previous work, only without much energy. Uh, except for the song that's not on any of their recorded albums. Which is? Killer Is Me. Yeah. That's a neat song. Yeah. That's the last song that they perform there. And uh It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Weird chords. Ooh. Yes. Unsettling. Yeah. But beautiful. Can and a control uh a Jerry Cantrell jam. Comes right after Over Now, which was the presumed mm-hmm. sort of closer. I think it was set up to be the closer. And mm-hmm. it was also the first single from the Unplugged album. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a mainstream rock number four and modern rock number 24. Yeah, it's great. Uh, the 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 lead... Yeah, we didn't even talk about it when we were talking yeah, the, about uh, Tripod. The lead guitar is great. Um, you know, the uh, all the riffing is is very cool. Um, the, the vocal is, you know, it's just, just very clean, appealing, uh, straightforward. And there's a, uh, the chorus has some, um, sort of slightly sharp bluesy edges to it that are really appealing. And, um, the the song overall, I feel like it comes off as pretty breezy in the context of the Mm -hmm. Alice in Chains discography. I, I like this song quite a lot. Alternate tuning, I believe. Makes sense. Uh, which makes it sound totally different than any anything else, really. Do you think that... I, I feel like a lot of the Unplugged performance is like them, them at their absolute best. Like the best versions of so many of their songs. Like, regardless of what Erlewine says, like, even the mellower songs... 
like we were talking about earlier, Trav, like a, a lot of those acoustic based songs sound better all acoustic versus acoustic with like the kind of gnarly electric leads. And yeah, I, I think that this this live performance has just the like no excuses. Um got me wrong. Um, in particular, I even think over now, like, I think it's a lot of their best versions of, of some of their best songs. That's cool. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think one of the more confounding parts of that, um, criticism is, uh, that he mentions it's without much energy because I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad energy at all. Mm -hmm. Even with the mess ups and things like that, I think it's, uh. It's a very sweet kind of like uh moment with mm-hmm. you know the bands they seem very comfortable with each other. Mm-hmm. There's no drama Mm-mm. which probably was existing to some extent if you've got a guy you know in the the, the throes of addiction and things mm-hmm. like that. Um it didn't you you couldn't really sense it at all. Yeah. Um and also I think it, it was mentioned that uh Jerry Cantrell had food poisoning that day. Oh shit. Had, wow. Bad hot dog. Awesome. Bad hot dog got him. Awesome. Yeah. Uh and you just can't sense any of it. And yeah. they're goofing around and stuff and playing Enter Sandman between songs uh-huh. and playing their their little uh, the weird senator thing before Killer is me. The senator likes boys in leather or something like mm-hmm. that. It's mm-hmm. very like whatever <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't think it's cool or worthwhile or anything like that but it seems like they were trying to have a good time it it made me appreciate um songs of theirs that i i didn't really care for um prior to it and yeah it, cool really cool uh really cool live album for sure uh any thoughts about where this ranks in the uh MTV Unplugged album listing. Oh, if you I had mean, to rank them, for me, it's only between this and Nirvana, right? <laughs> well, I've got my own, my own number one. This is probably number two, and Nirvana's number three, and mm. Mariah Carey's number one. Oh, oh okay. Oh. The Mariah Carey uh, Unplugged is just in- incredible with a full band, and it's like right around the time of Emotions. It's like all the hits from those first two albums that are just fantastic. Oh, cool. It's better Such than a great the performance. It's better than the Stunt Up a Pilots one. Yes. From Pre Purple. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a shame that like Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam didn't get a chance to do their unplugs like after oh, they man. had better songs. If Stone Temple Pilots got to do theirs after Tiny Music, after number four, so they could do Sour Girl. <laughs> and then So uh, they could do No Way Out. Yeah, <laughs> they did and do Pearl... uh, they did do VH1 storytellers, so you can uh, always check that out. Oh yeah. yeah, and Pearl Jam, yeah, Pearl Jam should have just done uh, all all no code unplugged. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much the end of their '90s output. Um, they had gone on hiatus for good there for a while. Uh, Jerry Cantrell started putting out a couple of solo albums. Um, Lance Staley died in 2002 from a speedball overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a gruesome death, it sounds like, uh, based on what I read. 
two weeks before his body was found, uh, he reportedly weighed 86 pounds and was partially decomposed. Wow. Um, He was really, yeah, really in an awful way. Um, The original bass player, Mike Starr, died in 2011 due to a prescription drug overdose. Um, That said, the rest of the band uh, sort of reformed in the... Mid-aughts, I want to say. Mm-hmm. They started to re uh, reform and put out some new stuff uh, with a new singer named William Duvall. And um, boy, I heard one of their songs on the radio and I was sort of like, wow, this is not like, it's not embarrassing. No. I, and it's not, it's not even bad. It's like pretty good. Yeah, I watched I feel the music like I, video. I feel like I remember hearing one song in like maybe 2008 or 2009. And thinking it was actually pr- pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it's worth giving them a shot and kind of uh, uh, just checking in on those last couple mm-hmm. of albums. Um, they seem very, very happy and well adjusted and they're touring. They toured <laughs> in the last, their last tour was with Corn, or else I would have gone out and seen them. Um, I'm not going to go see Corn. <laughs> uh, but that That's was probably right. two or three years ago, and the before times, before uh, the pandemic and mm-hmm. everything. Um, so they're they're sort of doing this probably partial legacy tour kind of thing where they're playing their hits, but they're also putting out new stuff. Um, and they also uh, had this uh, long line of. Uh, bleak sort of like downer output which probably had a hand to some extent in the new metal scene uh what do you think is the band's legacy well one thing that stands out to me is uh the band days of the new Mm -hmm. of course which emerged in the mid 90s but sort of came to prominence in 97 98 and um, feels like a band that based their entire existence off of Alice in Chains Unplugged and um, had some some good singles that uh, even have mock Lane Staley vocal performance. So that's at least one thing that I, I think of. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I should go. I, I, I remember them. I can't think of the hits off the top of my head. I should go back and listen and... Uh, I remember at the time definitely thinking like, oh, this is like, yeah. Like yeah. this is, band was inspired by Alice in Chains Unplugged. Is, is the, <laughs> the main one that I remember is the, because uh, I finally found a reason I don't need yeah. no excuse. Yep. Is that touch, peel, and stand? Is that what? Exactly, okay. yes. Yeah. So my my relationship to that album is like, uh, Alec, it's like your relationship to the Cheryl crow album where you played the the space invaders game on your computer yeah um i got like a shareware floppy disk of like an alien putt putt game (laughs) and the days of the new album at the same time (laughs) and so i like listened to that and played this game at the same time and it was so great like on a a loop um the other singles i can think of were shelf in the room and the downtown which is awesome (laughs) okay the downtown the, is so the great. downtown. The downtown. I love the downtown. Yeah, I love it in the same way that I love Alice in Chains Unplugged. So sure. if you don't like it, I don't know. Go take a hike. 
I, I, I do think on a negative note, if I think about a song like It's Been a While by Stained, I I also hear the influence of Alice in Chains in a sort of um, new metal adjacent, uh, I don't know, a, a particular kind of like masculine acoustic misery that um, that appeared in songs like like It's Been a While. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I don't know if it's fair to say, but I mean, even maybe a song like my own prison by Creed, um, has a little bit of Alice in Chains vibes to it. Um, so I, I, I'm, I can definitely think of some negative things in the long run. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. I, I think, um, days of the new stained Godsmack were, yes descendants of of alice in chains and um take that as you will Mm -hmm. that's negative for some positive for some um but that also applies to pearl jam right i mean like yeah pearl jam's responsible for creed yep yeah right i mean and things like that yeah i mean they're not responsible no like you're totally definitely and and but you know who gives a rat's ass about legacy yeah. of these bands, right? Sure. Like, I mean, we can talk about these individual songs that we're about to to rate and talk about, you know, if we, you know, like, you know, I can walk away with like maybe five to eight songs that I absolutely love from this band. And that personally is like, I'm, almost an album worth of, of great songs. And I, I can't say that about a lot of bands, you know, like it's cool. They're cool. Like, I guess I do think it's interesting in that, how it always seems to get watered down. And you can look at like a band, like even um, Arcade Fire, when they make Funeral, they begat the Lumineers. Yeah. And it always gets watered down in some way. And it's, it's not fair to say that they're responsible for that, but it's interesting to see what that family tree is like or what their mm-hmm. um, descendants are, mm-hmm. good or bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Shall we head to the courtroom? Yep. <laughs> yeah. To face the judge? Yeah. To see who enters the Hall of Fame and the Stall of Blame? Let's do it. forgotten into the other into the either (laughs) (laughs) all right so we're looking for songs over 4.25 4.25 and over Uh 4.25 and up is hall of fame two and under is stall of blame angry alec why don't you get us started (laughs) all right so we're gonna go in chronological order um, I'm gonna nominate the uh, the dirt single "Angry Chair" for the stall of blame. I personally give it one, hey, and point five. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm amused by "Angry Chair," but recognize that shittiness. I will give it 
2.5 owls. <laughs> I am surprised to be the angry chair lover here. Uh, I give it three silver chairs. <laughs> <laughs> so angry I, silver chairs or just just just, just silver chairs, <laughs> just silver chairs. It just misses the All stall right. of blame. Congratulations, angry okay. chair. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry to blow that for you. Al. I got a song here. Hey, I got a song. This song is a single from the album Facelift. It's a little song called Sea of Sorrow. And the lyrics to the chorus go something like this. I live tomorrow. You I'll not follow. As you wallow in a sea of sorrow. (laughs) I give this song... 1.5 1.5 wallow sorrows. <laughs> I give it 1.5 versions of you I'll not follow. Nice. I'll give it two blood freaks. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the stall of blame. I think that one is in the stall. Get in there. Yeah, 1.67, maybe. <laughs> okay, the first song that I will nominate is what is it what is it q it's wood (laughs) from dirt i give wood 4.5 big mistakes (laughs) i had the exact same uh unit um i i give wood um i give it 3.5 big mistakes I will give wood 4.25 question marks. <laughs> I think that means it just misses. Yeah, I think it's just shy. 4.08. Damn you, Alec. <laughs> yeah, I knew I was going to sink some of these. All right, I'm going to... That's gonna... a big... You made a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I'm going to move on. Try to see it once as well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to move on to the self-titled album and nominate Heaven Beside You for the Hall of Fame. I almost said Hall of Blame. For the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm going to give this 4.25 Sour Bridges. This song has a very sour bridge. Mm, 4.25. 4.25. Nice. I will give this song 4.25 problems in your life. (laughs) I will give it four heavens beside you. (laughs) Not quite. Didn't quite make it in. Nope. Just missed it. Well, darn. Okay. Trave. Okay. Um, Boy, I sure love that song. Got me wrong from the clerk soundtrack. Mm hmm. Um, I love Got Me Wrong. I think it is perfect. I give it five of uh, Dante's girlfriend having sex with the dead guy in the bathroom of Clerks. (laughs) Five. Five. Perfect. 
All right. I'm probably going to be the low one here. I give this one, uh, I like this one. I give it 3.75 songs where Lane Staley's vocals are not prominent. <clears throat> Fair. Generous. I give it four Kevin Smiths. Four point two five, baby. All right, it oh. just makes it. Your five, oh. your five right. saved it, Trev. Wow, got me wrong. Into Heroes the Hall of work. Fame. Okay, my next nomination is um, a song called "Down in a Hole." <laughs> Back to dirt. Back to dirt. <laughs> I'm bringing it back. Down in a hole. I give it 4.25 holes that I'm down in. Because <laughs> I'm down oh. in the hole, man. Oh, boy. But I'm down in 4.25. <laughs> right. Four and a quarter holes. Um, I'll go again because I'm going to be the low one. Uh I'll give this three wings that have been so denied. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I'm not yeah. so hot on this one. No, me neither, unfortunately. I'm going to also That's give it three fair. pieces of down, like down feathers in a hole. <laughs> like, like down in a hole. Okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it's not a stall of blamer, right? No. I wasn't sure what what you were what you were uh, proposing there. Oh man, I love down in a hole. Wow, I do. Uh, the the part for me is the down in a hole. Boop boop beep, boop boop beep, boop boo. That happens oh, yeah. like the last chorus. Yeah, yeah. You like to listen to down in a hole, like you like to sit in a hole and listen to down by three eleven. Hmm. <laughs> Possibly. Mm-hmm. Hole covering down by 311. Yeah. Shit, man. Down by a hole. Um, I'm going to nominate something from Unplugged, the single over now. I will give this 4.25 debts we pay sometimes. Cool. I like over now a lot. Uh, I'll give it 4.5. Uh, nows that are over. <laughs> and I shall give it 4.5 killers that are me. Cool. Mm. That's in. So I think that one's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about that song Grind from mm. the self-titled album, a single? Uh, I give Grind uh, 4.25 darkest holes. <laughs> I'm going to be the negative one again. I give Grind three dog legs. So we got a 4.25 and a three. And I will give Grind uh, 3.75 bumps and grinds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, no. Okay. Um... I think I end it, huh? Because I got two left. Yeah, go for it. Do All it. right. Um, I will next nominate No Excuses from Jar of Flies. Uh, no Excuses is perfect. I give it five excuses. 
I'll be the low one and give it four excuses. Mm. 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 I already know what Travis is mm. going to say. I know what his rating for this song is. Let me give it 4.5 excuses. Oh, I thought you were going to be a perfect five. Uh, that's it. No excuses is in. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's my favorite. I think no excuses is my favorite song of, of the chains. Yeah, it's definitely up there. Um, cool. My, uh, my last nomination is again from the soft titled album. Um, again, I will give 4.25 slaps in the face. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I didn't really notice this one that much, so I'm going to give it 3.5 dog legs. Uh, I'll give it four hey. Hey's. <laughs> okay. Not in. Okay. Well, we got three. We, we got, got three. three. Okay, That's so... Um, so Sea of Sorrow, I believe we got into the, uh, Stall of Blame. Yes. Um, and then the Hall of Famers were, um, Got Me Wrong, mm-hmm. Over Now, mm-hmm. and No Excuses. Cool. I feel good about That's that. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally thrilled by three getting in. One of That's each. That's incredible. Yep. Yep. One of each of our choices. Great, yeah. Is Allison Chains a Nirvana mm. wannabe? No, I don't That's hear. I don't hear any relation, honestly. Any influence at all from Nirvana to Allison Chains? Not really. As they moved on. No. I don't. I don't. The think so either performance, uh, the acoustic sort of incorporation that they were doing. I mean, I get that Nirvana kind of created a new archetype with the unplugged performance. Um, and I, I get that Alice and Chains are following in their footsteps, but I just still see this as fundamentally different bands doing fundamentally different things. <laughs> Trav, you have feelings about this? No, no. I think I, I mean, I kind of suggested what I think, and I, I don't necessarily think anything beyond that. I think maybe there's something to be said for like, you know, I, I, I they're both, quote unquote grunge bands even though they feel very different like Alice in Chains is like a sludgy metal band lumped in with the grunge bands Mm -hmm. Um, but it seems like they couldn't help but kind of live in the same bubble as Nirvana and you know the the media and culture sort of had some sort of impact on how they were perceived or how they what direction they went in and things like that i don't think it was necessarily like a direct sort of thing like like it was for someone like bush Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right well let's uh let's close this thing up um tell me all your thoughts on pod as part of the off-shelf family head to offshelf.net to sign up for their monthly zine and check out our sibling podcast best song ever 
The best, most fun way for us to communicate with all of you is via our Facebook group. Tell me all your thoughts on Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. However, we still love receiving your emails at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. You can listen along with our playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along on YouTube. And next week, we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming which, if this airs when I think it's going to air, will be uh, Eels. Novocaine for the soul. I think we're, uh, I, think it's, I think it's over now. I think I've made a big mistake. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, y- you all not follow. And I've been slapped in the face. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Again. <laughs> Rooster. <laughs> I'm a man in the box. <laughs> just keep going. Just, I'm, just riff, man. I'm living down in the hole, man. <laughs> Sitting on my angry chair, drinking from my sludge factory. <laughs> With my three legged dog. See you next time. Wood? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye. 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 Something or a lot of girls.